0: With Paul expressing his heart's desire, his his prayer to God for his kinsmen, the Jews, that they might be saved. And so we find ourselves this morning in Romans chapter ten, which I'll read for us in, in just a moment. You can go ahead and, and turn there in your Bibles. If you're using the Pew Bible in the rack in front of you, it's on page one thousand two hundred and three, or you can follow along here on the screens. But as you turn there, I want you to remember that just last week, if you were here last week, we began this discussion about Paul's desire, Paul's passion for his countrymen, that they would hear the salvation. And he he said in chapter 9 that, that because of that desire, because of that passion, that he himself, he said, Let me be accursed. Curse me. So that they might be saved. Such was his passion that they would hear and believe the gospel, that they would be saved. And that's where Romans 10 starts as well. So, so read it with me here from Romans chapter 10. We'll start in verse 1. Here's what it says. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. May God help us to understand his word. You see how Paul starts here in, in this passage by pointing out his love for the people of Israel, his his longing, his desire for their salvation. And we see that, right? We see that in, in his ministry as well. Every time he comes into a new city, what does he do? He starts, first thing, he starts by going in to the synagogues and preaching there, right? He starts by preaching the gospel to his own people because of his love for them. And so while it's true, it's very true that Paul has this great love for his own people, is also very true that Paul's desire is actually to see everybody come to know Jesus. His desire is that salvation would not just be for those of Israel, but that it would be for everybody. And we see that in his ministry as well, right? So he doesn't just preach to the Jews. He doesn't just preach in the synagogues, but he preaches widely to everyone who God would put in his path. His desire to see all come to salvation. It's a desire that that follows after the character of God. We're told in 1 Timothy that God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And so it's from that desire to see people saved that God has acted so that anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's from that desire, that great desire that Paul then has dedicated his life to spreading that gospel hope. And and in this passage here, we see Paul again starting with the Jews, starting with his desire to see them converted, but then widening that out, right? Opening that up with a declaration to all who would believe in Jesus. But, But look at his reasoning for this. What's his reason for desiring that the Jews would be saved? It's in verse 2. His desire to see them saved is rooted in the fact that they have a great deal of zeal for God, but no true knowledge of God. That is, they are passionately pursuing something but they're pursuing the wrong thing, right? They're desperately trying to build up their own righteousness. They're desperately trying to obey God in in everything that he says, but in their pursuit of their own righteousness, they have missed entirely the righteousness of God in Christ. And perhaps you've known someone like this before. Someone who is desperately trying to live up to the letter of the law in hopes of reaching a righteousness of their own, but they are continually falling short in their pursuit. Or maybe, maybe that someone is you. And it is a, it is a sad and it is a terrifying experience. I have a, I have a friend named Torek um, I met him the last time that I was in Indonesia. And, and Torek is a, he's a Muslim and he's, he's very passionate about about his faith. He is desperately seeking to please Allah in some really obvious ways, right? Like, like praying five times a day, but, but in some ways that we wouldn't, we wouldn't normally expect. He's desperately seeking in everything he does to please Allah in hopes that maybe then maybe he will please God and he'll be allowed into heaven, allowed access to heaven. But all the time, he's always feeling like he's falling short. And if you ask him, if you ask him if he's done enough, if you ask him if he's good enough with sadness, he will tell you that he knows that he hasn't. And that he is just hoping that Allah will be gracious even though there is no evidence to suggest that he would be. So he just keeps trying to build more and more righteousness, to try to balance the scales of righteousness out, always failing, always falling short. And as I developed this relationship with him, I began, I began to become more and more desperate for his salvation because his, his zeal without knowledge made me desperate for his sake that he would finally come to know, finally find rest in the righteousness of Christ because, because I could see and because I know how hard it is to strive after something that you will never reach. And those sorts of situations, we have people that we know, we have people that we love, and we have people that we see in the world who are striving but are not finding because they're not resting in Christ. They, they make us then want to come up with we try to come up with a way that those people could maybe be saved without Jesus. Right, so in the in the final book of Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, we meet a character by the name of Imeth, And and Emeth isn't a follower of Aslan, which is sort of the Jesus figure in the book. Instead, he's a worshiper of Tash. He's a, a soldier in the in the Calorman army. But at the end of the book, surprising everyone, including Emeth, when the battle is over, he finds himself in Aslan's country, and he's welcomed there by Aslan himself. And here's the way Lewis writes what happens. He says, "'The glorious one,' that's Aslan, "'the glorious one bent down his golden head and touched my forehead with his tongue and said, "'Son, thou art welcome.'" But I said, Alas, Lord, I am no son of thine, but the servant of Tash. And he answered, Child, all the service thou hast done to Tash, I account as service done to me. And then later in the paragraph, Aslan continues, Therefore, if any man swear by Tash and keep his oath for the oath's sake, it is by me that he has truly sworn, though he know it not. And it is I, who reward him? And similarly, elsewhere, um, Lewis, talking about this same idea, says this. He says, I think that every prayer which is sincerely made even to a false God or to a very imperfectly conceived true God is accepted by the true God and that Christ saves many who do not think that they know him. And I understand Lewis's desire here. And I think that Paul understands Lewis's desire. His desire is that people would be saved. It's his heart's desire. It's his prayer to God for them that they would be saved. Especially right in light of their zeal, which he sees. But the problem is... That that is a holy, unbiblical idea to suggest that anyone who has not confessed with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God has raised him from the dead would be saved. And so while Lewis's desire is a noble desire, it is a damning desire. Right? To tell anyone that their righteous deeds will be adequate for their salvation is to give them a misplaced confidence that will result in them landing in hell. And that's why we see Paul here not saying to them, Hey, just keep trying. You can do it. Keep keep working, live up to the law. Instead, what we see him saying in verse 4 is Christ is the end of the law of righteousness for everyone who believes. Right? So the, the question is how then are we saved? If it isn't through living in righteousness, if it isn't through obedience to the law, how then are we saved? And that's the question that Paul begins to answer starting in verse 9. So let's just read back over this starting in verse 9. Here's what he says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified... on the name of the Lord. We confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead. This is how we're saved. And it's true for everybody. That's true for anybody. Anybody who would call upon the name of the Lord, Jew or Gentile. So it's this beautiful passage that Paul is putting out here. He says, stop your striving. Stop striving and start believing Stop Stop trying to live up to an unreachable standard and put your trust in the only one who can and the only one who has reached that standard. And I love the way that the, the theologian B.B. Warfield puts it. Here's what he says. He says, it's not faith that saves, but faith in Jesus Christ Faith in any other Savior or in this or that philosophy or human conceit or in any other gospel than that of Jesus Christ and him as crucified brings not salvation but a curse. It's not, strictly speaking, even faith in Christ that saves, but Christ that saves through faith. The saving power resides exclusively not in the act of faith or in the attitude of faith or the nature of faith, but in the object of faith. Right, Our salvation is not based on us believing strongly. It's based in us believing rightly. It's not based in us calling out loudly, but us actually calling to the right person. Right, right? Think about the prophets of Baal. The prophets of Baal on on Mount Carmel, they called and they called and they called all day long as loud as they possibly could, begging, pleading with their God that he would come through for them. But it was the quiet, simple prayer of Elijah to the true God that brought fire from heaven. It isn't faith that saves, but Jesus who saves through faith. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But but consider again, let's go back. Consider how Paul began this passage. He says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they would be saved. Do you believe that? Do you believe that that's truly what Paul's heart's desire is? Do you believe that it's truly his prayer that people would be saved? If you know very much about Paul's life, I think that you would believe that. Here's the driving piece of evidence to this being Paul's genuine desire. Paul spent his life declaring this gospel, this good news to everyone that he met. Right, He went town to town. And when he got thrown into prison, he preached to the jailers. And when he got put in court, he preached to the judge. And when he found himself stranded on an island, he preached to the islanders. Everywhere that he went, he was preaching the gospel. It was his heart's desire. He spent his life pursuing his heart's desire. And so do we. So do I. So do you. We spend our life Pursuing our heart's desire. So let me ask you this Is it your heart's desire that people would be saved? Do you share in the desire of God that all people would be saved? That all would come to the knowledge of truth? And if someone were to look at your life, would they know that that's your desire? It's great. It is great for you to know how people are saved. But the real question is, do the people that you long to see saved know? Do they know? Not just do you know, but have you told them? Right, so consider this argument that Paul makes as the chapter continues. I'm just going to start in verse 13 so we can see the connection. Here's what he says. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news? Do you know why commercials exist? commercials and, and billboards and those online ads that pop up and the in caps at the store. Do you know why they exist? They all exist for the same reason, because you will not buy something if you don't know it exists. Now, that seems pretty obvious, Right. Common knowledge. You won't buy something if you do not know that it exists. And yet, for some reason, we want to believe that people are just going just gonna to know. They're just going to accept Jesus without anyone ever telling him that, that, that he actually exists. No one. No one buys a thing that they don't know exists. Now, here's the thing. People may very well know that they need Something. They may very well know that the thing that they have right now is inadequate, but no one calls upon the name of or believes in the name of someone that they've never heard of. You know what you do when you realize that you don't have something that you really need, but no one's told you that it exists? You probably Google it, but then you would hear about it. So if you don't know it exists, you know what you do? You make it yourself. If you really know that you need something, but you don't know that it exists, you begin to try to make it yourself. And that's true with just stuff in our life, but it is also very true with our righteousness. When we look at, when people look at and they say, "I, I know that I need something. I know that I'm missing something, but no one has ever told me what it is that I'm missing. People all over the world, for as long as memory serves, they have tried to create salvation for themselves. Why? Because no one has told them that Jesus is the thing that they're missing. They know they're missing something, but they don't know that if they'll call upon the name of the Lord, they will be saved. So they create their own ways to worship and they create their own righteousness and they have zeal, but they have no knowledge. And what do we do? What do we do? We we sit around and we argue over whether or not God will save them because they tried their best. And we try to create reasons why at the end of the day... He probably will, right? At the end of the day, maybe God will come through and we do that so that we don't actually have to go. And it's been that way for centuries. I right, said so Charles Spurgeon, the great British pastor of the 19th century, someone asked him that question and here's how he responded. Someone asked, will the heathen who have never heard the gospel be saved? Here's his response. It is more a question with me whether we who have the gospel and fail to give it to those who have not can be saved. Unless you call upon the name of the Lord, they will not be saved. And how will they call upon the one that they don't believe in? And how will they believe in the one they've never heard of? But at the end of the day, for most of us, simply put, our heart's desire and our prayer to God is not that people would be saved it is any number of other concerns that are particularized by our individual situation. And our heart's desire and our prayer to God normally has far more to do with us and our comfort than those who have never heard of Christ. And we have chosen rightly, we've rightly chosen to, to speak the gospel back and forth to one another in the church, which is good. We need that. It is necessary because we forget the gospel all the time. So we've chosen to do that, but we have chosen to do that at the exclusion of ever telling that gospel to someone outside of Christ. And here's what, here's what KP Johannan, he's the, the founder of gospel for Asia. Here's what he says. He says, believers who have the gospel keep mumbling it over and over to themselves. Meanwhile, millions who have never heard it once fall into the flames of eternal hell without ever hearing the salvation story. And I think that what we do when we read a passage like this, I think what we do is we try to justify ourselves. And here we justify ourselves with verse 15. That's what we do. Verse 15 is where we find our justification because it says this. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? And we decide that it must be true of me that I have not been sent to do this work. We decide that that must be a unique role and it's not mine. God hasn't called me to that. Meanwhile, Paul is writing this and no doubt remembering in his mind the final words that Jesus said to his church before he ascended into heaven. That thing that we call the Great Commission where Jesus says, go, go and make disciples. Go and do it in all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end. Of the age. Listen, if you have been saved by the gospel of Jesus, then you have been sent out with the gospel of Jesus. And I don't care who you are and I don't care how little training you have or how little practice you have. If you have called in faith upon the name of Jesus, you have been saved and you have been filled with the Holy Spirit. Thus you have the power and you have the calling to go and tell other people. Here's the way William Booth, William Booth was the founder of the Salvation Army. Here's the way he, he says this. He, he says, not called, did you say? Not heard the call, I think you should say. Put your ear down to the Bible and hear him bid you go and pull sinners out of the fire of sin. If you have been saved by the gospel of Jesus and you have been sent out with the gospel of Jesus... People are only saved by believing, but they will only believe if they hear. As Paul says in verse 17, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. The word of Christ, the gospel, the declaration that all who believe would be saved, the good news, that's what people need to hear. That's what we need to be preaching. No one in the entire world has ever, Believed in Jesus, who has not heard of Jesus. Now that seems like a blatantly obvious statement. But we need to take the next step that Paul takes here. Consider how, how is it that they would hear? John Stott just reverses the order of Paul's argument and he says this. Christ sends preachers, preachers preach People hear, hearers believe, believers call, and those who call are saved. And that, right? that is certainly true. But it is also true that there are many who will hear who will not call upon the name of the Lord. All who call upon the name of the Lord have heard of the Lord, but not all who hear of him will call upon him. And this is how Paul sort of ends out this chapter. By pointing out that in Israel especially, people have heard and upon hearing have rejected the good news. Here's how the chapter ends. Look at it starting in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard for us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? But first Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Paul's argument seems to go something like this. Anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. No one will call upon the name of the Lord unless they hear. But not all who hear will call. Right? And that's the part that's personal to Paul. Paul. That's what's, that's what's exasperating to Paul because he's been going city to city and preaching the gospel in the synagogues and city after city. Some have believed, but some have rejected. And Paul's desire, and Paul's prayer, is not that some would believe the gospel, but that all would believe the gospel. And so he's he's trying to figure out what is happening in Israel. And so he asks these questions, these two questions: did they hear and did they understand? Did they hear? He asks and he answers with this quote from Psalm 19. Their voice has gone out to all the world, to all the earth and the words to the end of the world. What he's doing, Paul's, Paul's sort of twisting this psalm for his purposes here. A psalm about creation declaring God. And he's saying this. The reason we know the Jews have heard is because the Gentiles, the ends of the world, have heard. They've heard the gospel. So the Jews definitely heard it. So they heard it, but did they understand it? Maybe that's the problem. Maybe they were confused, right? And again, he quotes scripture from Deuteronomy and, and Isaiah. I'll make you jealous with those who are not a nation. With the foolish nation, I'll make you angry. I've been found by those who did not seek me. I've shown myself to those who did not ask for me. And he's pointing again to the Gentiles. They're the ones who, who are foolish. They're the foolish nation. They're the ones who didn't ask for God. And his point isn't that Israel is somehow intrinsically smarter than the Gentiles. His point is this. Israel has had every advantage in understanding the gospel. If anyone should understand, the Jews should. So if the Gentiles did, the Jews definitely did. And where does he get this idea that they're so advantaged? It's all the way back in chapter 4. I mean chapter 9 verse 4. Here's what he says, chapter 9 verse 4. We read it last week. He says, they are Israelites... And to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs. And from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Israel is advantaged because they had first-hand access to God working this out generation upon generation upon generation. Everything. Came from the Israelites, including Jesus. If anyone should understand the gospel, they should. So if the Gentiles do, then the Jews definitely do. They've just rejected it. And isn't it true that often those who have the greatest access to the gospel are those who are most prone to reject the gospel? Do you know how God responds to people like that who reject the gospel? He actually tells us at the end of our chapter, that last verse tells us. Here's how he responds. But of Israel, he says, All day long I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. How does he respond? By continuing to hold out his hands of grace to them, longing that they would repent. God doesn't give up on them. And God doesn't want us to give up on them. If you've shared the gospel with someone and they said no, keep extending your arms of grace to them that they may hear and believe. It's, his, it's Paul's heart's desire and prayer to God. Just a moment on those two words. It's his heart's desire that they would be saved. And because of that, he has made it his practice to preach the gospel to preach to anyone that God would put in his path. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel at all, right? It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. But because he knows that not all will believe, that it's not just in his power, he's made it his prayer to God. Praying that those who hear would believe. And what about us? Do we join God in his longing to see all people saved? Is it our heart's desire? If so, if so, our lives will be about the verbal proclamation of the gospel. But hear me, not all who hear will believe. So make it also your prayer to God that they may be saved. Let's pray to that end even now. Would you pray with me? Our good and gracious God, we thank you that you are a God of salvation. That you long to see people saved. And that you long for it so much that you, you came and you died in our place. We praise you because anyone who calls upon your name will be saved. What, what grace that is. Lord, would you make us a people who would boldly declare your gospel so that others might be saved. Lord, break our hearts for those who don't know you and give us a passion to see them saved. Lord, help us to speak truth and we pray that you would cause those who hear to believe. Do it all for your kingdom and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.